Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs and cats, and tadpoles waiting to be frogs, welcome live from the Michigan State University campus in beautiful East Lansing. It's Tea with BVP. Hi, I'm your host, BVP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten. If you don't know who I am, you've probably tuned in by mistake, and Rush Limbaugh is on another channel. I am joined here in the studio today by my lovely co-hosts, the beautiful and talented Angelica Kramer, and uh, equally lovely and talented Walter Hopkins. Why don't you all say hi? Walter, why don't you say hi first to the listening crowd? Hi first to the listening crowd. Oh, gosh. <laughs> See what I put up with. Angelica, <laughs> say hi. Herzlich willkommen zur ersten Episode von Tee mit BVP. Okay, somebody call Sarah Palin. We want her speaking American in the studio. Come on, please. <laughs> <laughs> hi, guys. All right, thank you, Angelica. All right. Well, um, uh, we're show, our show is going to be off to a lovely start today. I have to, I have to apologize to the listeners first. I uh, came in last night from the UK at 10.30 in the evening. I am so jet-lagged. It's not funny, although I did have a good trip. Would you like to hear about my trip? Love it. Like Please tell us all about it. You want to hear about my trip? It was fab. Although, because I was there, there was a conference on non-Western languages on Saturday at, at the University of Greenwich. It was a great conference. It was a lot of fun. I gave some talks on Monday and Tuesday, but... I always get excited when I go to the UK. I'll go to London because I want to meet the Queen. Mm, I mean, yeah. I really want to meet the Queen. I mean, you know, I've known a lot of queens in my life, but I mean, I want to know the Queen, right? Because <laughs> I have, I mean, no, honestly, I mean, think about this. Think about that. She's always impeccably dressed, right? And she's yeah. got all her bodyguards. She's impe- but she carries that little handbag, that little purse. What's in it? She's, exactly. She's the Queen. Why does she have a purse? Well, she has subway tokens in there. I mean, like, she have a little ID that says, I'm the queen. Like, she doesn't need anything. Why does she have a purse? Walter, write to her and ask her why she has a purse. I will do that right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Dear could queen, you? why do you have a purse? Okay, you're in America. Speak American, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, well, this is our first live show, um, and we're hoping that you all forgive us out there because... Uh, we are using new technology, and we are getting used to it. Um, our fantastic technological producer, Daniel Trey, goes in the booth today and pushing all kinds of buttons and doing all kinds of things. And so we might have a glitch now and then, either for calling in or for tweeting in or doing something. So we want you to just make sure that you, you give us a little uh, slack this week as we get used to the show. So uh, without any further banter and fooling around here, actually, we, I, I've got more banter. But I think I'll save it. I think I save. I think I'm gonna save my banter for later. They say never use your good stuff up all at the beginning. Indeed. I used to do. I used to stand up comedy. They say start, you know, in the middle, take them to a little bit, then drop them down, then you end with a big, a big thing at the end. I like to end with a big thing all the time. Okay. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and introduce our topic for today. Daniel, can I introduce the topic for today? Is that okay? Can I do that? Yep, you sure can. Okay, thanks. I'm gonna introduce the topic for today. The topic for today is the status of language teaching in the United States, if not in the world. Um, now, if you're interested in this topic and you want to call us, I'm gonna give you our phone number. We do have a phone that you can call in on now. The phone number is five one seven eight eight four four three two one. Again, that's 
So the status of language teaching, that's a nice topic. The question is, where is language teaching today? And I don't mean language teaching in the scholarly sense, because there's a lot of people out there who write and talk about language teaching from a scholarly point of view. I want to talk about in the real world sense. Okay, so we're not talking about theory of language teaching or what you might find in a book about language teaching. I'm talking about what people actually do, what's out there in the schools, what's out there in the language programs. Now, part of my job as the host of this show, as Walter will tell everybody, is I'm supposed to be provocative. I'm here to provoke you. Um, so here I'm going. I'm going to provoke you with this, this comment. Um, I heard someone, I can't remember how long ago this was, I heard someone at a talk, a scholar um, of language teaching, um, say that we are in the post-communicative era. Now, the post-communicative era. Well, my, what I'd like to say is I think that that kind of statement is typical of people who work in the ivory tower, right? And not the people who are out there actually teaching. Because I would claim that at least 90%, if not more, of language teaching never made it to the communicative era so that we could even be in a post-communicative era. That's quite an interesting statement. Whatever do you mean? Oh, Somewhat controversial, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that controversial. I mean, no, really, it's not. No, honestly. I mean, think about that. Somebody's saying we're in the post-communicative era. I'm not, like, again, I don't think we made it to the communicative era. I've been, okay, I've been around a lot. Okay, I, I, I travel a lot, and, and I've, I've been doing language teaching since... God, since 50 Cent was, you know, aspiring to be a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and I can attest that the majority of secondary schools and the majority of universities have never done communicative language teaching. They just never have. They aren't doing it now, and they never have. I mean, it's as simple as that. I have nothing more to say about that. These programs may claim to be communicative. I think that's what they do is they claim to be communicative, but they really aren't, and they never have been. So... So what do you think their idea of communicative teaching is? Well, I mean, let's look at textbooks for a minute, Walter. Let's look at textbooks. Okay, so try to find me a communicative textbook for a world language in the United States. Try to find me one. I don't care what the publishers say in their prefaces, and you can open up any textbook, and they will say, uh, we're a communicative or proficiency-oriented book. Or they might have on their cover some nice name of the, of, of the book, and at the bottom say, a communicative approach. But... You know, they really aren't. They really aren't communicative. So what is a communicative approach? Can you define it for us? Well, I can, but, you know, I mean, I have worked in this area a little bit. I mean, I do have a book called Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen. Um, but I'm not here to lecture people. I'm here to interact with people. Um, and so um, what I'm going to do is invite our listeners and callers, I mean, our listeners and our tweeters and our followers out there to... Uh, to tell us what they think about what I just said, if they have questions about that or comments to make. Um, again, our phone number, if you want to call in, is 517-884-4321. Um, again, 517-884-4321. You can also tweet us at T with BVP. It's that simple, at T with BVP, all one word. Uh, yep, you know how Twitter works, no caps and all that kind of stuff. Very simple, very simple. I don't tweet myself. Walter, do you tweet? I do not tweet. You, you don't tweet? I, I, I did my very first tweet on the T with BVP uh, tweeter, you tweet? Tweet, Twitter nice. page. Congratulations. <laughs> Twitter page. Uh, but then Luca told me he had to change it all. So, you know, huh. apparently it wasn't a very good tweet. Well, well you'll get better. I'll, uh, yeah, I don't imagine I'll get better. But uh, Gallica, are you a big tweeter? 
Not a big tweeter, no, but I, I do have an account. Okay. I, have, I was in Alaska recently, a couple of weeks ago. Um, when, was it, when was it in Alaska? Anybody remember I was Alaska? Um, and I was at a conference there of the AFLA, the Alaskans for Language Acquisition. Great group of people. My God, if you can ever go meet these. They were a great, great, great group of people. Um, but there was a, a couple of people, there were a couple of people there who were tweeting during my whole talk. <laughs> they were like just back there. Their thumbs were going. I thought, my God, if I did that, I'd get cramps in my knuckles. <laughs> I'd like, I'd get some kind of, you know, what's that disease you get in your in your carpal tunnel? tunnel? Carpal tunnel. Yeah, I'd get something like that in my thumbs. I don't know how these hmm. people are, but man, they were like, tweeting the whole time. I just God. I saw some of those tweets. You did. Mm -hmm. Were they good? Yeah. Okay. I retweeted some of them actually. Okay. What they say? I can't remember. Did they? <laughs> They say anything about how good I look? Yeah, of <laughs> course. <laughs> well, of course they did. Of course they did. Um, okay, so while we're waiting for, uh, we're a little bit ahead of schedule today um, because I think we're going to have some people actually calling in or lining up to call in and so on. So um, Daniel is manning the phones. I, can I say manning or should I say personing? You can hmm. say whatever you'd like to say. Daniel is handling the phones. He's doing all that kind of stuff. <laughs> He's a man. And, oh, Dan, I can see somebody in the booth there with Daniel. It's Jeff Malone. Jeff Malone's in the booth with Daniel. My gosh. Um, well, while we're waiting for that, we'll, we'll just continue to talk about this topic of it. So what I was saying um, was that I just don't, I, 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 can't, I, I can't agree that we're in a post-communicative era, maybe from some scholar's point of view, but in, in the real-world sense of language teaching, I just don't think so. I think most people are still basically teaching grammar and vocabulary and turning pages in textbooks, and, and I think it also depends on the language. I mean, hmm. Angelica, you work in the Center for Language Teaching Advancement. You know, what do you hear from people in the field there I mean, about this topic? Or what do you hear about what's going on in language teaching? Well, I think people here at MSU do a lot with proficiency-oriented teaching, making sure that the students are able to communicate, which would be communicative teaching, no? Yeah, but see, that, that's just it. I'm not sure everybody knows what communicate means either, or what communication is. That's the rub. Hmm. I mean, I, you know, it, some people think if you just put people in pairs and make them talk, that's communicative. But it may not be. Very true. I mean, you know, it may not be. Okay, so um, we, have a, we have a question from somebody. Is that what I'm seeing, Daniel? Okay, we're getting questions. So the, you out there listeners know, we, you can either call in or you can send your questions in. And we have a question from Mixler, um, uh, or via Mixler, which is the uh, software we use to send this out on the internet. And it's uh, from, I think, somebody named Dan, right? Somebody Dan. Dan is asking, are we in a post-behaviorist era at least? Ooh, Dan, good question. Are we in a post-behaviorist? behaviorist era at least. Does everybody know what Dan's asking? I mean, a lot of people don't even know what behaviorism is and that we were in a behaviorist era. Um, some of the younger people, if, if they don't, if they haven't studied the history of language teaching, just don't know what behaviorism was and the whole behaviorist era. Um, for those of you out there, quick lesson, real quick, and, and then we'll get to Dan's question. Um, behaviorism was a, a, a school of psychology um, that basically believed in what was called operant conditioning. And without getting into the details of that, it got translated into language teaching as um, getting students to listen, repeat, not make mistakes, make sure they're doing everything correct at the beginning, and giving them rewards in the sense of um, making sure that they're saying things correctly from the get-go. So there's a high emphasis placed on accuracy and very little emphasis placed on communication because it's largely 
memorization, right? It was largely memorization and, and learning things like that. So, in, and I think, Dan, it's a good question because I think we are in a quasi-post-behaviorist era. I think it depends on where we are. It's amazing sometimes when I go give talks and I, I get questions from people like this. So in your class, do you make them repeat after you? <laughs> I, I, no, I don't make them. Why would I make them repeat after me? What does that do? Well, sh shouldn't they like be like, isn't that good for pronunciation and making them learn how to say things? No, they're just repeating. That doesn't do anything. So, so we're in a quasi-post-behaviorist era, but I don't think that's completely gone. Um, I think that... I think the way language teaching works, like any profession or any field, is that you you have some f you have some method or something people are doing, and the next thing that comes along gets built on that. But the thing prior to it, the previous thing, doesn't quite go away completely, and you still get the success of stacking of things. And so, if anything, right now what we're in is this grammar translation plus behaviorist plus communicative, plus proficiency jumbled kind of thing that people do on various degrees. And I don't think people really know what communicative means. Um, so um, anyway, so Dan, that's my answer to your question. I think it's a good question. Um, and maybe somebody else is going to tweet us or call us about that. Um, OK, Dan, did you say we have a caller? Is that what I'm getting from the booth over there? Yes, we do here in just a minute. Um, okay. We will have our first caller. Uh, give me about five seconds. Okay. There you go, gang. I told you to forgive us for our technology. Well, and actually, technology. while we are waiting, um, somebody else on um, Twitter was asking, Matt was asking, so what do you say to people who think that students aren't getting enough quote-unquote grammar, that somehow the communicative approach doesn't teach grammar? Uh. God, I'm so sick of that question. Just give me, give me, Walter, do you have a gun on you? Do you have a gun? I'm going to just shoot myself right now. Give me a gun. Give me a gun. I'm going to just shoot Stop myself it. right now. If this were Texas, if we were at the University of Texas, somebody would have a gun and I could just pull it out and shoot myself right now. Golly, that question. Um, okay, Matt, the, read it again, Angelica, please. What do you say to people who think that students aren't getting enough grammar, that somehow the communicative approach doesn't teach grammar? Oh, okay. Um, I, I, do you want me to answer that one, Daniel? Do you want me to take the phone call? Okay, we're going to take... Matt, if you can hold on, we're going to come back to your tweet. I love tweet. I love that word, tweet. And we're going to take our phone call. Okay, so who's our caller? She's online. Hello? Hello. Who's our caller? What's your first name, please? Hi. Um, my name's Leanne, and I'm calling from Princeton, New Jersey. Hey, Leanne from Princeton, New Jersey. How's the lovely state of New Jersey these days? Hi, it's doing good. Uh-huh. How's Princeton Bye, doing? Nice fall weather. Good. Yeah. Campus. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are you calling about? What do you want to say? Um, so my question is, it seems like the upshot of the previous conversation is that there may not be a lot of communicative language teaching going on, or people are overestimating perhaps how much is going on in classrooms. It seems that when I talk to a lot of people, they say that they're on communicative classes, but now you're saying that that may not be the case. So my question is, is there a litmus test or something that someone can give themselves? Um, to know what kind of class they're running. Does that make sense? So whether or not what they're doing is really kind of grammar translation um, or more of like a behavior style class. Um, because I talk to a lot of people and they say they're running communicative classes, 
But if you really look into what's going on, it, it seems like they have the wrong perception of themselves. A litmus test, huh? Mm-hmm. It's, sounds like uh, I'm trying out for the Supreme, Supreme Court here. That's a litmus test. <laughs> do you or do you not believe in? Um, that's, a, that's, that's a good question, Leanne, litmus test. Um, if, I can in, if, if the listeners out there will indulge me for just a moment, there is court of a litmus test, and it's called the definition of communication. Because if you don't have a definition of communication, you can't understand what communicative is. So let me give the definition that, um, that I use the, the, in the book that Jim and I did, Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen, that I use in my course with language teachers here at Michigan State. And it's this, that communication is the expression, interpretation, and negotiation of meaning in a given context. Okay, now, that definition is not necessarily original to me or to Jim Lee and, and myself. Um, Sandy Savignon talked about that in the 70s and other people talked about it. But, but that's the definition we adopt. So let me repeat that again. The expression, interpretation, and negotiation of meaning in a given context. So what that means is that if you don't have um, meaning that is being expressed and interpreted in the context of the classroom, then you're not doing something that's communicative. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than it seems when you just take that simple definition uh, because of the, the concept of context. Um, context always dictates how we talk. For example, right now, I'm looking at, Wal- okay, when Walter and I are in the office together, we communicate one way. But here we are in the studio, and we're being a little more, what's the word? We're being a little more public with the way we're communicating. And we're not saying the things, well, I'm not saying the things I would say yeah, when I'm talking to Walter reserved. Barcells because the context <laughs> changes. And I can't talk to the audience on our show the way I can talk to Walter in private. Or Angelica, I'll go knock on Angelica's office door and I'll walk in, I'll close the door and we have a little conversation. The way we talk is different than the way I'm talking now. And for example, at the conference I was at on Saturday, I gave a, a, a keynote speech. The way I spoke to the audience in the keynote speech was different because that context required me to talk and communicate my thoughts in a particular way. So context is always important. Context is defined by participants and setting and also purpose. So a classroom always consists of a fixed context. It's students who have one role and a teacher who has another. So all communication has to make sure that it fits within that context. So in other words, an, a, a classroom is not a bank or a restaurant. So if I role play, you're the waiter and I'm, and I'm the client, the customer going, that's not communication because we're not a restaurant. We're students and a teacher. So the context dictates that we, we do things with, with language and we communicate that's appropriate for that setting with those participants and the roles they have. Um, now I know people out there are gonna disagree with me on that, but sorry, that's, that's, that's what definition of context is. So can I ask you a question? Can I interrupt for a second? So yeah, should we not be teaching situations that are not in the context of the classroom? For example, so you just talked about the the idea uh, of a restaurant, wait, you know, at ordering something in a restaurant. So should that, those not be things included in a, in a curriculum if they're not communicative in the, in the sense of the term that you're talking? What I'm saying is, th- is that those things and those activities you do around those things may not be communicative and probably aren't uh, because you're not actually communicating real ideas and real thoughts. Um, you're acting, you're role-playing. Now, whether acting and role-playing is communication is a whole other question. It, it's, it's not clear to me that it is. Because why? 
because another part of the puzzle that we're missing is purpose. Communication always has a purpose. And what Jim and I have talked about in the past is, is the psychosocial psycho purpose of language or communication, and then the cognitive informational purpose of communication. Um, and if, you're, if what you're doing in a classroom doesn't have a purpose of one of those two purposes, not meeting the needs for communication, then, then what you're doing is probably not a true communicative event. Okay, that doesn't mean that your classroom has to be 24-7 every waking moment, something like that. There are the, you know, classes have to have some fluidity to them. But I think overall, if you don't have some working definition of communication in mind, then you're just throwing spaghetti at a wall maybe, right? Oh, I'm going to put my kids in pairs today and have them do this activity. That's going to be communicative. Well, let's look at the activity. The activity says, ask and answer the following questions. Five disjointed questions that have no relation to each other, that are purely there to practice vocabulary and grammar. Why am I asking these questions? Who cares about Walter's answer? Who cares what, what Angelica is thinking about it? Because there's no purpose to that activity. Um, <clears throat> we have a reaction from, I can't read this very well. This is from... Do you want me to read it to you? Yeah, why don't you read it? It's better because I can't read it from Okay, here. we do have a reaction here from Grant, and he says, per your definition of communication, if we are not talking about something meaningful and students aren't interpreting, we're not teaching communicatively? Well, first and then he clarifies by saying what he's referring to is, th is your definition that communication always has a purpose. Right, right, exactly. Okay, so you can look at it this way, Grant, anybody else out there listening, is that you can have something that's fully communicative or something that's partially or potentially communicative. Something that's fully communicative understands the context, the setting, and the participants, um, and also has a purpose. That's either psychosocial or uh, cognitive information in terms of its outcome. And we haven't actually even defined what those mean yet. Um, and it also has to have people who express and interpret meaning under those situations, right? So you could have something going on in class where you have the expression and interpretation of meaning that kind of understands the context but actually lacks a true purpose. In that case, I would say what you're doing is quasi-communicative or partially communicative or potentially communicative. But because it doesn't have a real purpose, then, then it, it, it's probably not fully communicative, the way we use communication in the real world. Um, so we always have to understand the limits of our, our classroom context. Um, so can we prepare students for study abroad then? Or how do we? Well, yeah, you can in this following sense. There's, you, you, okay, we have to think about the fact that every time we talk about preparing somebody for something, doesn't mean we actually prepare them to do that. We prepare them to cope with a situation they're going to be in. This is not like medical school, where we don't want to unleash somebody on a patient unless they kind of know what they're doing already, right? That's why they go through extensive internship, residency, and they have tutelage and all this kind of stuff under, under a master doctor, or whatever you want to call these people, and so on. When you prepare somebody from study abroad, what you're doing is giving them tools so they can cope in an environment when they may not have all the tools they need. Because if you prepare them for study abroad, why go to study abroad? You've already, you're already able to do it. So, uh, so what we have to understand is what it means to prepare. It means that you've got enough tools that you can go and make your way through, and you'll have a successful experience. You'll struggle. You'll do, you know, things will happen to you, and so on. But, but pr preparation means we're getting you to the door, and then you got to walk the door and do things yourself. Okay. Oh, Leanne, are you still on the line? 
I'm still here. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, well, you know, I thought maybe you hung up on us already. No. <laughs> Talked so long. I don't know. <laughs> Were you listening to all that, or did you get a little bored? <laughs> I, was, I was there for it all, thanks. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Leanne. Yeah. Any yeah. comment before we, we hang up on you? No, no, no. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. Well, say hi to Chris Christie for us. <laughs> I'll try. Okay. All right. Thanks, Leanne. Bye. Thank yep. you, Leanne. Okay. So uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. We're, we're, waiting, we're waiting for the next phone call, I think, is what we're doing here. But um, you know what we might do? Is this a good time to um, do our little commercial? Oh, we have a phone call coming in? Oh, we do have a phone call coming in. Who's our phone call from? Do we know who it's from? Oh, we can hear you. You're not supposed to say their name, Daniel. Okay. <laughs> okay, There's so we have a phone call on. from Matt. Matt, are you on the line? Although, wait, I have to turn the hold on. Okay, I'm here now. Turn your radio down, Matt. I just did. Turn your radio down, Matt. Hi, I Matt. Did. Hi. Hey, Matt, what's up? Um, should I ask my question now? Uh, yes, please. All right. So my question to you is, what do you see as uh, the role being for pronunciation within the communicative framework? The role of pronunciation? Or te teaching pronunciation within the communicative framework. Well, you know, I'm not a big proponent of explicitly teaching anything <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Um, at least certainly not in the lower levels. Um, it depends, you know, I think... Pronunciation is something that, get, that gets mapped on over time, just like anything else. Because you're talking about formal components of language. Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm not big on pronunciation in the early phases. I think it takes up time because um, the acquisition of the formal properties of language, of, of both which phonology, the sound system, and phonetics, the actual realization of the sound system, that's something that gets mapped over a long period of time after lots of exposure. Just You can't teach pronunciation. It's like you can't teach grammar, you can't teach words, you can't teach the formal properties of language, you can't teach them. They gotta be learned through interaction with the language over time. So uh, my answer to you is, or my claim would be that teaching pronunciation is something that just takes away from communication. How's that for well, an answer? Well, it's a great answer, um, but I guess the, the question I, I, I'd like to maybe push a little bit further with is, you know, we we kind of know from um, from research that um, it's those super segmentals that really really are what give people foreign sounding accents, which is what oftentimes hampers communication. Matt, so I, ga I gather from your I gather from your statement that you have a background in phonology or sound system because you use a fancy word like super segmentals. So I'm sorry. So so stress tone and intonation, uh, rather stress pitch and intonation. Um, this, this question is making me stress. Come on, Matt. Come on. What's your question? <laughs> I'm just kidding you, Matt. Go ahead. Keep in mind, poor Bill is jet lagged. I am. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. But go so, ahead. Super so segmentals. I, I, I guess just my question is, I mean, if 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 there are sort of you know tricks and 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 and, and things that teachers can do in order to help uh, students attain a more native-like uh, um, you know, capacity for, for using these super segmentals, which we, we, we know is one of the things that gives people, really gives people a foreign accent. Um, should we be doing that in a communicative class? 
it, it depends on what you mean by the communicative class, because I think, uh, assuming we have communicative classes, um, if learners are getting enough and varied input and interaction with that input over time, super segments will map themselves onto that kind of stuff. Um, the problem is, again, people are trying to use teaching to circumvent the processes that the mind-brain uses to map formal features onto the, the system that, that's growing in the head, the communicative system. And so, I, I, you know, I, again, I come back to um, the idea that the formal properties of language cannot be taught and learned in traditional ways. They can't. You might point out some things now and then. You, you might show people how something works. But actually teaching them and trying to get people to do them because um, what I'm cueing in on, Matt, is your use of the term making them more native-like. That's tough to make people native-like, particularly from the beginning. And I think that whole quest for making people native-like stems from our behaviorist background, what I was saying earlier, where we keep layering approaches on top of each other over time, and we never really sloughed off completely the behaviorist error. I think that was, I think whose question that was. That was Dan's question earlier, right? Um, so this, this concern for native likeness comes from that behaviorist era where if we didn't eradicate errors, people would fossilize, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be good speakers, they would you know, have errors and so on. Well, we've got news for everybody. That's the nature of language acquisition. People are non-native-like. Um, and people are very, you know, they're in different la there are different degrees of non-nativeness, right? Um, so, um, so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling now because uh, I basically have answered your question. I don't think pronunciation is a big thing to do in the lower levels. Now, it might be later as people get more advanced, um, getting work on pronunciation could be useful because then they can start mapping stuff onto sentences and sentence structure because they actually have something to map onto. In the early stages, they don't. That's my answer. Okay. Do you like that answer, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> You do? I do. Okay, good. <laughs> good. I detect in your voice, where are you from, Matt? Jersey. Uh-huh. See, I got that from your super segmentals. I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All sometimes right. My, sometimes my jersey comes through. Okay, Matt. Well, thank you for your phone call, and, and, and stay good, and we'll talk to you sometime in the future. Thanks, Matt. Right. Thanks Bye. for calling. All right. Okay, gang, before we do any more calls or any more tweets and twits and all that kind of good stuff, we have a, not a contest, but we have a, a question for you. We are toying with two theme songs. Uh, when we opened the show early, if you were here at the beginning of the show, you heard a particular song, um, and uh, we actually used that song just to open. We're going to use another song to close the show today. So what we're going to do is ask you which of these songs you like best. Okay, now the first song um, you're going to hear that Daniel Trago, our uh, technology producer, is going to play for you is called... A house party, okay? And so he's going to play a little bit of that for you, and I want you to listen to it. These will be up on the web afterwards, I think, as well. Will they, Dan, will they be on the web or something? Will they be able to go and listen to these? No? Oh, so you have to listen now. So mark it down now, and um, we're going to have you um, tag your vote, um, hashtag T with BVP, to um, tell us uh, which one you like. So here's the sample from House Party. Hit it, Dan. takes me back. It takes me back to my dancing days. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> takes me back. Uh, so that's really kind of 90s. It's taking me back to the 70s. You know what my principal memory of the 70s is? What's that? I don't want to. Oh my God, I was at a party one night and <laughs> someone actually tripped and dropped a whole tray of cocaine. It was horrible, man. 32 people got on their hands and knees and tried to snort up a shag rug. It was awful to watch. I tell you, it was just awful to watch. Anyway, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. I'm making a joke. My God. Walter's be, shaking his head funny. in disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the other song, be the other song we want you to hear is called Spy Girls. Okay, so Spy Girls. Daniel, give him a little sampling with Spy Girls, will you? about you guys out there but that song does something to me it makes me want to like start taking my clothes off or something it does, i mean <sighs> doesn't it sound kind of jazzy and sort of that speakeasy kind of i don't know that you know it's just like can we throw this guy there? out of the just, studio no please. doesn't it though okay well anyway so that was spy girls so here's your vote house party the first song or spy girls tag your vote at hashtag t with bvp next week we'll announce uh, which song made it through with your votes and uh, we want to give a shout out before we go back to our callers and everything else we're going to do today to melodyloops.com. That's where we're getting our music from. Uh, it's a great, if you need music, go to melodyloops.com. You can find music there that you can use for whatever you want for your classes, for shows that you're going to do. Um, and so it's all about melodyloops.com. Com. And uh, one more thing before we get back to the phones and tweets, we have an advertisement. Is that how you say it in your British a English? Advertisement. Walter. That's right. mm -hmm. Walter. Is That's it, exactly correct. It's a, an, it's advertisement. an advertisement. Okay. Or are you going right. to read the advertisement? I'll read the advertisement. All right. So one of our sponsors here, TVB, TVVVV. Let's try that again. T with BBP <laughs> is CELTA, the Center for Language Teaching Advancement here at Michigan State University. Advances language teaching through the dissemination of innovative practices and collaboration across communities. If you're in the area, join us for our professional development and lunch and learn series or take lang a language class with us. Classes are offered for preschoolers, children, and adults through the CELTA Language School. So that's CELTA. Yay, CELTA. And, and in case you didn't catch it earlier, Angelica Kramer, our co-host here in the studio, is the Associate Executive Director of CELTA. So we got a big wig from CELTA here in the oh, come studio on. with us. Oh, yeah, <laughs> baby, come on. We got a CELTA big wig. So we're always nice to Angelica because without CELTA, we wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> Indeed. Okay. All right, we got another phone call coming in. Daniel, why don't you plug us through? Who's our next caller, please? Okay, do we have a caller Hi, online? This is Justin calling from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Justin from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, Justin, you're just down the road. I am, yeah, and, and looking forward to uh, to hosting you all on Saturday. Okay, well, uh, for a, for a certain game. Oh, <laughs> hmm, let's not even go there. <laughs> okay, you're not. You, you think go you're going to host green. this, Justin? You're so lazy, you couldn't get in your car and come to East Lansing and ask this question live. You had to call in. But that's all right. If if the show, albeit uh, the the live edition at Mywilla next week. Nice, yes, fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. We're going to announce that at the end of the show. So you're ahead of the Great. game. Okay, Justin, what do you want to talk about? What's your question? My question is this: um, It refers to your open letter to deans and other administrators that you uh, appended to your article. Where are the experts? Oh, that's going to be a topic uh, of a show down the road, by the way. 
Is it? Okay. I, uh, I thought I'd ask it today because of the, the topic uh, being about the, the current state of affairs uh, in the country, and that's also the topic of, uh, of this article. Uh, I, was, I was curious if you'd gotten any direct responses to your open letter to deans or had seen any other, uh, other signs of, of change uh, in, uh, in the affairs that you referred to. I know it's only been uh, about seven months, but thought I'd check. Well, that's a good question, Justin. Um, and uh, just a little bit of background for people who don't know. In March, I published a paper in the journal Hispania, which is the official publication of the fantastic organization called the American Association of Teachers of Spanish and Portuguese. And the title of that article was, um, Where Are the Experts? And basically what I do in that article is talk about the very, very low percentage of faculty members across the country who hold tenure line appointments um, and do research and teaching in the field of applied linguistics and second language acquisition. Because the percentages really are low, right, Justin? You read the article, so it's like 8% in Spanish yeah. and like 2% in French. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's not very many people across the country. Um, and the point of the article is that if the experts are that few, that not that many, then how is it that we actually affect change in language teaching and, and what happens to the future professorate and all that kind of stuff? Um, so, uh, to answer your question, let me just back up a minute and tell you something that Jim Lee, my colleague, said once at a panel discussion about language teaching. That the glaciers move faster than universities <laughs> move. And uh, I think that's a point well taken. It's universities and, and programs, not just language programs, but program, just universities in general and how they operate, are incredibly slow to make progress. Um, and some of the issues that, that are brought up in that paper I published, you know, they've been around forever. They're, it's not a new issue. Um, now, to answer your question specifically, I had a lot of positive feedback on that article, and I haven't heard from deans, um, although I did get two invitations to speak this spring at different universities about that topic. Wonderful. So I'm being invited uh, by deans and departments to come now and talk about that. So uh, that, that's a good sign. So hopefully, you know, other yeah. people are able to, to take those issues forward and so on. And I'll um, add a note there, too. Uh, I, I'll be attending a meeting of the CIC language coordinators and program directors. And tell everybody what the CIC is. Walter. The CIC is the Council, Center, Council for Institutional Cooperation. It's the Big Ten schools plus the University of Chicago. And, uh, and one of the topics on the agenda is, is whether the CIC should be promoting um, this idea of having tenure-line faculty members uh, running language programs and um, who those people should be. So that's going to be a topic for conversation, and I imagine that that topic of conversation uh, was precipitated by this, this article. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I yeah. can't. I can't guarantee that's the case. Unfortunately, I won't be at that meeting because I'll be at the Second Language Research Forum. So right. I won't be there. But, but I'll be there. Justin, to speak to your point, here's the irony of this. The CIC is going to take that issue up. They passed a res resolution back in 1983. The, d the um, department chairs did at an annual CIC meeting. In 1983, they passed a resolution saying that language programs should be directed by tenure-track people huh. and tenure-line people. Today in the CIC system, that's just not the case. So nobody knows what's happened to that resolution and so on, and you know, because departments change and so on. Um, and these organizations often don't have a lot of impact uh, on on local, you know, like universities in local areas. So, 
But anyway, so there there is some movement, and we'll see. It takes a while for things to happen. So, great. Thanks for those comments. All right. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Justin. We'll 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 talk to you soon. And yeah, we'll go green, go next, white. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> go green, go white. <laughs> Sounds great. Have a good rest of the conversation. Okay. Thank thanks you. a lot. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Um, while we're waiting for our next call to come in or our next tweet to come in. Um, there was something else I wanted. was no news. I'm so glad we're doing this show. You know, this is the one talk in, call-in show that we're not talking about Donald Trump. Well, no, <laughs> you fabulous? just did. So no, why'd I you didn't. bring that up? I didn't, I didn't talk about Donald Trump. Okay, end of conversation? No, I, 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 I want to talk about that. I was, it was great to be in the UK for five days. I was oblivious to what was going on in the United States. Or they like to call us America over there. I, I always refer to us as, as the States. Um, and so I, for five days, I didn't watch news. I didn't listen to the radio. I had no idea what was going on until one morning um, I put the TV on at my friend's house and, and I was watching BBC News in the morning. And there's this little, little, little sentence about uh, the Democratic, no, not the Democratic debate, something else that was going on in the presidential elections. Just like this one sentence thing and then it went on to some local, <laughs> the mayor of London saying some stupid thing that he always does. So, uh, well, sorry, mayor of London. I didn't, Jim Chimney, Jim Churu and all that kind of stuff. I love you a lot. Um, so, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to disparage the, the, the mayor of London. I really don't know the guy. I'm, I'm sure he's good. But although if he can find out what's in the queen's purse, I would really like to know that. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, the mayor of London, if there's something you want to do before you get out of office, is find out what the hell is in the queen's purse. Okay. <laughs> um, so we got our next phone call. Um, Daniel, we're ready to go on to who do we have on the phone? Tell me your first name, please. Hi, I'm Tim. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Where are you calling from? Uh, Washington, D.C. Hey, Washington, D.C. What's the weather like today? Is it good there? It's pretty nice. It's a little chilly, but not too bad. Because uh, it's <laughs> kind of getting crummy here. We've got mm, it's, get, it's getting chilly and rain. It was rainy yeah. when I came in today. Anyway. <laughs> So what do you want to talk and, about, uh, Tim? What's your question? What's your comment? Well, first, for what it's worth, I like I like the house party song. Just uh, yay, Tim! I love you. <laughs> you want to marry me? Have my children? Just kidding. It brings me back to my dancing days too. Right there, so. you yeah. go. No trace of cocaine, though, right? <laughs> no, no, of course not. <laughs> um, so I guess what I want to talk about is um, I want to get your input. Um, no pun intended. About, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> You talked about the communicative classroom a lot today and about the you know, the low number of researchers in the that are teaching second languages who actually study the process of second language acquisition. So how do you and how do you get out there the, the uh, how to improve on the communicative classroom and how to teach in a communicative style? Um, how do you like spread that to the average um, average instructor? Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, now with media and now with technology, we can have a greater outreach. Before, you'd have to go to conferences or you would take a class, right? And then that was the only thing you'd ever see. Um, but now with technology, for example, like CELTA does, CELTA has all kinds of things it does, clear the Center for um, Language Education Research here. It's a national center here at Michigan State. Does newsletters all the time and, and things. Um, with, the, with the web, I mean, with technology, it's easier to do outreach and get knowledge in people's hands and talk about things. And so doing shows like this as well. So you don't just have to go to a conference anymore and, and to quote unquote hear things. Um, and and so, I, so I think that's gonna help. I think we'll see 
quicker diffusion of information and discussion of things than we did before. I mean, listservs and things like that. The, the mm. problem, though, is that you have to have the message to begin with to get out, and, and, th and that's, that's the rub. That's where we have to start. We have to get people interacting with teachers and programs more. Um, I'm one of those weird people um, that works in theoretical second language research and also in language teaching stuff. Um, most people uh, don't do what I do. They don't cross those two bridges. They don't have a foot in both doors. Um, mm. And so we need, we need more people who can do that and do both and can talk about, about both language acquisition and language teaching. So, um, so we need to just build that cadre up. So um, I, I, I think that's happening. We have more PhD programs now. We have more people interested in that kind of stuff. And so once we get them out um, and, and uh, have them working on things, then um, I think we'll probably start to see a diffusion of more information and more knowledge. I was actually quite pleased when I was in Alaska a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I was pleased to see how vibrant the knowledge uh, and and curiosity and uh, the stuff that they were doing seemed to be so current uh, in the in the practice and trends um, and I, I was just very pleased to see that. So I I think it's getting out there. I think there might be a bit of a disparity between K through twelve and universities right now. I think there might be a little bit more innovation going on in K through twelve. I could be wrong. That could be a topic of another show. Um, so. So that remains to be seen. But I think universities are a little bit slower in that regards um, for a variety of reasons which we can talk about in another day. Um, but uh, I was going to say one more thing, and I forgot. It must be the jet lag. Well, I can add something, too, I think. Please do, Walter. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm able to. <laughs> I, uh, I think one of the things, Tim, as well, is that it's important for people to see models of teaching. And I think – I know for me when I first started teaching – you know, I, I mean, I took classes in language teaching methods and, and you know, you hear it's great to read about it uh, and to even want to do it and to try to do some things. But until you're able to see someone else who's doing it or see it modeled by someone else, mm -hmm. then it's really difficult. And so I think that if we can get more people out there modeling communicative language teaching, we can get more people out, out there modeling uh, these research-based approaches to teaching, then, and, and people are able to observe that and to learn from that and see it actually put into practice, then I think that information will certainly disseminate also. I have one more comment to make about that about this whole situation, Tim, but before I do, I want to ask you a question. So what are you doing, Tim? What's your career going to be? Is that something you want to do? Or, what are you um, doing? I'm, or are you I'm doing it right now? Student. Yeah, I'm a PhD student in second language acquisition, well, Spanish linguistics. So, um, so yeah, that's what kind of what brought on the question is that I feel like a lot of the research that I'm reading and even helping to produce, right, is um, sort of geared towards other researchers. And so I just don't know um, that the outlets are really there for the average. I know you definitely said you know, K through 12 teaching, I just, I haven't really seen anything that's written for someone of that status that, um, at least I haven't, but that's why I'm asking you. I, I would love to, you know, hear if there's, if there's resources for um, instructors who, who want to, you know, tap into this research, but maybe don't have the skill set to understand the methodology and all that that goes into writing an academic paper. 
Yeah, um, that, yeah, that's that, that's one reason why, for example, Walter and I do a lot of workshops and, and a lot of talks at ATSP, at our own Michigan <coughs> World Language Association meeting, um, at, at Actful, um, because I, I <coughs> again, I'm a firm believer in having a foot in both in both places. I do my research, I go to the Second Language Research Forum, I go to AAA, all those kinds of things, and then I go <coughs> to the language teaching conferences too, because I want to be able to you know, to share, like you said, you know, and, and, and help with that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So, cool. yeah. So, yeah, I was going to actually comment on one thing. Um, it was about what Walter said about models. And for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. I, I, I thought for a minute about um, the use of YouTube now. Um, there's some really neat things you can find on YouTube. You have to be careful, again, because not everybody understands what it means to be communicative and understands communicative classrooms. Um, and I just remembered what I was going to say as to my final comment on this is that we have to be careful because I have a lot of colleagues who aren't in the field who think communicative language teaching is some way to do the thing we did before. So what mm -hmm. we did before is we taught grammar, we taught vocabulary, and then we tested grammar and vocabulary. And I have a lot of <laughs> colleagues who think that communicative language teaching is some new way to teach grammar and vocabulary. And it absolutely is not, and that's part of the problem right. I think we've had with, with people. Because I hear, I don't know if you've heard this, Justin, I've heard people say... This is Tim now. Uh, oh, Tim, I'm sorry. <laughs> Tim, yeah. Justin, it's the jet lag. What's the queen got in that purse? I'm still stuck on that question. Okay. Uh, so, so Tim, so, uh, you know, I, 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 think, I think that um, uh, they're, they're pointing at me to make me look at the screen for a minute to say something, but I want to finish this thought. Uh, I think that people have to understand that communicative language teaching is not a method to do something we did before. It's actually a fundamental, a fundamental revolution, always has been, not, also, not about the what, how to teach, but the what of teaching right. and the what of testing. It's a very, very big ball of wax. It's a very mm -hmm. difficult thing to get across. Thank you for your call, Tim. Thank hope to you. see you. You're going to be uh, where we're going to see you next. Well, we'll see you at some conference or something, I hope, sometime. I'm sure. Good I luck hope, in your studies. I hope so. All Thanks, right. Tim. Okay. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Is it show? No, you. Good look thing gorgeous. this is radio. You don't want to see. It. I look. I have enough bags under my eyes. I look like I'm carrying my oh, luggage you there. Don't. I oh, do. You look fine. <laughs> you say that because you work for me, Walter. Mm, you better okay. say that. <laughs> you must. Well, I don't, and you, you don't. You look, you look just, just dandy. Dandy. No. I look dandy. I don't know. I think we can do better than dandy. Fantastic. Oh, getting there. Gorgeous. <laughs> okay, that's good. Moving right along. Spectacular. <laughs> okay. We do um, have some questions uh, from some people who wrote in before the show. So I'm going to read this one. This is from a guy named Chris. Here's what he says. Language classes by definition are full of learners whose capacity to produce language is both limited and generally less than their comprehension. Yet many language teachers and textbooks use student output as input for other students. Given the student output, that student output will be both limited and of poor quality, do you recommend that teachers do communicative pair activities, for example, information gap? If so, why and what or and if not, what is an alternative way to provide quality input? Oh my gosh, this is like a dissertation topic. Here. Yeah, no kidding. Okay. Um, 
That is, um, who asked that question, Chris? This is Chris. Okay, yeah. Chris, the answer is yes. But I want to. I think I want to have you, can you tweet that question or call us next week? Because that's actually going to be part of the topic for next week. Okay, so um, at the end of the show when we wrap up, um, I'm going to announce what we're going to be doing next week. So um, call us next week, please, with that question. But for right now, I'm going to say yes, and then we can explain why next week and do that. Um, Okay, I'm sorry to do that, Chris, only because because we are going to treat that topic um, next week. So we have one final caller, Daniel, to uh, to for our topic for today, and that is who? Uh, you're on the air, T with BVP. Who is calling? Give us your name, please. Good afternoon. This is Paul calling from Houston, Texas. Hey, Paul from Houston, Texas. How's the weather down there? We're all jealous it's, because you're probably It's sweating. actually beautiful. The temperatures have plunged into the 80s. Oh, oh man. No. Wow, that's rough. <laughs> rough. But... But listen, um, a thank you so very much for doing this. this. I think this is a really it's a really neat program and it's a really neat use of, of, of the format. Um, but one of the questions I had, knowing that you were going to be talking about the status of language teaching, I was curious about your thoughts that with economies and and studies and whatnot becoming more and more global, are we seeing an increase or a decrease in lang language learning programs in, in the country? And then as a follow up. What do you see as the role of online teaching in, in, that, in, in, in that arena? Ooh, um, that's, those are good questions, too. Um, maybe we should have a show on that kind of topic. Yeah, um, for sure. We are seeing an increase in online stuff. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, we have, we have online courses now here at MSU, um, largely for people who are reviewing work, actually, not for people who are be true beginners. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> for the first part of your question, though, um, and I think also something like Rosetta Stone, things like that, is making a market for mm -hmm. academic programs to do more online stuff to compete with things like um, Rosetta Stone and so on. Um, and uh, but I think the first part of your question about a decrease or an increase in was it language study you said or interest yes. in language? Lang well, language program programs at the at the university level. I mean, yeah. are they growing? Are they? Well, you know, the recent, the recent reports from the MLA and from some other organizations have suggested that language enrollments are down again. And for the first time in I don't know how many decades, Spanish language enrollments are down, which mm. is odd. Um, mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, but then again, you know, when you're trying to build a wall around countries to keep Spanish speakers out, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's no wonder that people are having attitudes where they, <laughs> they don't want to, uh, mm -hmm. to study one of my first languages, I might say. Um, mm. So, but I think that um, that's, a, I think personally that's a temporary phenomenon. I mean, there's always a little ebbing of things. And mm -hmm. so it's probably a slight dip right now. I think what's got to happen though, um, the reason this topic is so important is we need to get on the ball. Because um, mm -hmm. if there's one thing about language teaching and, and language programs that make them different from other programs, it's expected outcomes. There's a mm -hmm. reason, I mean, or have you, have you asked yourself, Paul, why is it that universities require, for example, like ours, liberal arts college, four semesters of a language, but only one semester of a science, one semester mm -hmm. of a social science, one semester of rhetoric? Mm -hmm. Why four semesters of a language? Because they're expecting you're supposed to learn something in four semesters. What are you expecting mm -hmm. to learn? You're supposed to get some kind of ability with language, right? We got to mm -hmm. get on the stick and start showing that ability, um, or mm -hmm. people are going to vote with their feet. Mm -hmm. So I gotta, I gotta cut you off, Paul, because our time okay. is running short, and okay. I'm getting this axe from my producer over here in the booth. And so well, thank you for your call, and stay cool down there in Houston. 
Thank and, you. All right. Thank you. Thanks okay. for calling, Take good Paul. Care. Bye-bye. For sure, Walt. Take good care. Okay. Bye. Well, um, thank you all for calling in and, and listening to our first show, Tea with BVP. Uh, we have some acknowledgments here, so I want to thank, first of all, our technical producer, the guy behind the booth, um, uh, Daniel Trego, our media producer, Luca Giopina, uh, the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, CELTA, the College of Arts and Letters at MSU. Um, as a reminder, we want to let you know that the ideas and opinions represented in this program do not reflect those of the Center for Language Teaching Advancement, the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And with that said, we also want to thank all of you listeners and tweeters and callers. We're very sorry we could not get to all of your tweets and messages today. We will be working on that. Maybe we need a longer show. Maybe I need to talk less. Maybe I need to put a gag on Walter. Um, but we will try <laughs> to address you, bringing up some great points. We'll try to bring up some of these points and some of your questions in the upcoming episodes. Uh, continuing in, uh, in the vein of this week's show, join us next week as we delve into the provocative topic, Whatever Happened to Comprehensible Input? There you go. Um, was that Chris who asked about that earlier? Yeah. So next week, Whatever Happened to comp ha Comprehensible Input? We'll be broadcasting next week live from the Michigan World uh, Language Association's annual conference in beautiful downtown Lansing. Uh, until then, we're going to wish you a great rest of the week and have a happy, not have a happy, but just happy second language acquisition to you. Right? <laughs> sure. I like it. Okay. Where's our music? There it is. There it is. Awesome. Goodbye, everybody. That means bye it's bye. official. When the music comes on, that means we're done. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>